Hey everyone, I am really excited about today's show as I have a very special guest joining me. Pam Wakefield is a learning and development executive that I've known for quite some time, and she is a subject matter expert on creating respectful workplace policies and also respectful workplace training programs. This is a great episode for HR and employee relations professionals. Welcome to the HR Investigations Podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best-selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations, a Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie. Hey, everybody. I'm Natalie Ivey, and welcome to the HR Investigations podcast. And this is an episode that is one that I have really had on my mind that I've wanted to talk about and it is the importance of creating a respectful workplace policy and also implementing respectful workplace training. I am really happy to have a very special guest with me today. I have Pam Wakefield, who is a learning and development executive that I've known for quite some time. And so in a little bit, we're gonna talk some shop about respectful workplace policies. Um, But before we get started, Pam, I'd like you to just jump in here and just share with our listening audience a little bit of your career bio before we get started. Thank you so much, Natalie. It is such a pleasure to be on your show today. So I'm really excited. I've been in the learning and development space for over 30 years. Half of my career has been in financial services and the other half has been in oil and gas. So I've done the entire designing the training, developing the training, spent a lot of time working on respectful workplace, primarily focusing on the training end of it, but working very closely with the legal department in designing respectful workplace policies. Fantastic. I knew you were the expert to bring in and talk about this issue. So uh, before we kind of get into some of the true benefits of implementing a respectful workplace policy, can you share with our audience, really, what is this policy? What exactly is it? So a respectful workplace policy really sets the guidelines for how employees should behave in the workplace, right? It's all about valuing each person and what they bring to the job, valuing their individuality. It's about having a work environment that's free from harassment and discrimination of all kind. So with that said, some organizations, they may only have just a harassment policy, and they may have one that's really kind of light on the details. So a respectful workplace policy is a little bit more comprehensive. And what I find is a lot of organizations ensure that their respectful workplace policy also aligns with organizational values. So for those of you in our listening audience, if you don't really know what your organization's values are, or they're just on some plaque on Uh, the wall uh, in your uh, headquarters building, but no one kind of knows what they are, that's probably uh, where you need to start. Um, If you're thinking about a respectful workplace policy is what are our values and are we we maybe even needing to revisit those? Now, Pam, let's talk about some specific behaviors that an employee may demonstrate that would perhaps be considered disrespectful and maybe a violation of a respectful workplace policy. Can you give some examples? Yes, I'm gonna start with uh, the obvious, right? The big ones are discrimination, harassment, sexual harassment is included in there, 
It could also mean a hostile work environment where someone is being mistreated consistently. It includes things like yelling, bullying. Ah, there it is. Yeah, there is even some simple things that you would not, you may not necessarily think would fall under respectful workplace, but it could be things like if people share living quarters and they use the same refrigerator or places where they store their food, somebody's taking somebody else's food, that mm. literally would fall under the policy, right? Nobody uh-huh. wants to go to work and they can't find the food that they purchased. So it's the big things and the little things as well. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. And uh, even though you've worked in the oil and gas business where you have employees working and uh, working a, a hitch and, and shifts and then they have their crew quarters that they share, uh, for a listening audience that may not have crew quarters, you certainly have office space and refrigerators. So um, I think that certainly speaks to a lot of the professionals who are listening. So, and from your perspective, Pam, what do you think some of the key benefits are to organizations in implementing a respectful workplace policy? Well, I think a big one is just that it improves employee morale. Nobody wants to go to a job where they're not respected and they're not valued. Yeah. So people are more likely to be at work. It's going to reduce your absenteeism and your turnover because employees don't feel stressed. Mm-hmm. It's a way to become an employer of choice just because it's a great place because you consider all of these things for your employees. And the other thing that I want to add, I've been saying employees, but it also covers customers and vendors. Mm-hmm. So that, that's important to note as well. Um, the big one is minimizing uh, lawsuits and litigation. Yeah, you're right. I can definitely see that. Um, you know, from my experience, and you know, my listening audience knows I've been uh, conducting investigations and managing employee relations for a really long time in my career. I'll tell you, one of the things I def I have definitely seen over the years, organizations that don't really have a respectful workplace policy, they have management that decides that it's okay to josh and joke around. Hey, camaraderie is one thing, but when you're starting to cross over lines and you're making remarks about someone's religious faith and you're really poking fun at that, you are uh, picking on uh, someone's, uh, let's say, ethnic food that maybe their spouse has lovingly cooked for them and uh, making uh, snide remarks about it, uh, you know, things like that. Those are those flashpoints where employee relations complaints start. And those are the things that also spark internal investigations. Um, and it really starts with the the policy, certainly, um, and some training, but it also really has to rest with management, where management has to really respect the respectful workplace policy. They can't say, oh, well, yeah, we have this stupid policy that HR made us do, and now we have to go this training that learning and development made us go to. It can't be that type of thing. Um, you know, if you are going to be a respectful workplace, and I'm sure you can chime in here, Pam, it really has to be part of the DNA of the organization, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you said a couple of things mm-hmm. previously. You talked about the values of the company, right? It has to align with your core values. Mm-hmm. Uh, management plays a huge part in it. They've got to buy into it and they've got to model it. There is no point in having a policy if your managers are not going to be example an example of what good 
is like. And then the other piece of it is it's not one and done. It's not something that you roll out. And, you know, as you were saying, everybody comes to this training because they're forced to do the training and then you put it on the shelf or you dust it off because you've got, you've had a complaint. It's got to be something that the company really believes in. And yes, there's the legal and the law part of it, but there's yeah. also doing it because it is the right thing to do. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the early part of my career, uh, some of my listening audience knows this. And if they've attended any of my uh, continuing ed programs, I started out working in a very industrial type of environment. I was in the car rental business working in airport operations. And uh, back then, we definitely did not have respectful workplace policies. And uh, there were comments that were made about my bottom and how my bottom looked in my uniform pants. And uh, there were, you know, variety of, uh, let's just say, incredibly inappropriate remarks that were made and and some of whom were, they were made by some of the managers that uh, I had worked with who were colleagues. And you know, on the one hand, I get it that it's it's some good-natured ribbing with your colleagues you you work very long hours with, and so on, and that sense of camaraderie. But um, you know, there are those lines, and um, today, especially uh, with as diverse as our organizations have become, uh, this is why it also is is really really important. So, um, in your experience as, as an L and D executive, can you share with our audience maybe three tips or some important things to consider when you're you're really wanting to put together a training and also in implementing a policy? So maybe if you kind of start with policy first, then training, or or whichever way you'd like to approach it, Pam. Yeah, let me talk a little bit about the training piece mm-hmm. of it. Um, the policy, I think that there is a lot of different examples out there that one can gather information. I want to also just stress again that your policy needs to be very comprehensive, right? Not just employees, but vendors and customers. And so that the entire atmosphere environment of that organization is someplace where people want to be. And so just think of all the different things that people have to um, endure or maybe some things that have already happened at the organization and you want to make sure that your policy addresses those things. So that's on the policy side. From the training um, and just learning from trial and error, I would say some key things are basic, right? Keep it simple. No more than a one-day training. I don't even know if one day is, uh, it's probably too long. It's a topic that people feel uncomfortable with. And so sometimes doing a shorter version of it over a period of time is a better way to do it versus a long day. So it really depends on the organization. It depends on where they're bringing in people. But for us, we found three, four and a half hours is our sweet spot. The other thing I would say is um, use realistic examples, examples that resonate with the people in your workplace. Don't use these general things that are out there because you really want to deal with the true issues that are going on. But of course, you're going to change the names to protect people. Of course. And also, you want to make sure that you tweak the uh, scenarios a little bit, right? Don't make it the exact same scenarios where people in the room are like, oh, that happened with this person or that person, (laughs) right? So use some creative license there, but things that are going to be really helpful that people can really identify with 
and also make sure that it is a safe environment. This is a great opportunity for people to talk about things that they may not feel comfortable otherwise talking about it. Now, it's not going to be a, a gripe session, but if people right. have concerns, you know, it's a this is a place that that's where I always say I, I always say the conversation should happen here. And yeah. we always say that it's a safe space. Another thing that we do is we separate managers from individual contributors so that people feel comfortable sharing whatever it is that they need to share. And it's never the case where people are um, reporting an incident. It's really just people have questions. You know, the world has changed. There's a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. They need to know how to navigate things and we give mm -hmm. them that space uh, to do that. That's great. I'm glad that you brought that up. That was going to be something I was going to ask with your recommendation and separating the management group from individual contributors. I agree. Uh, I've definitely been in sessions myself where even though uh, I've cautioned senior leadership and said I really would prefer that you not come in, it changes the dynamic. Um, I had one situation with an EVP that decided that he was going to just sit in for a little while. Well, we were at that moment where people were really feeling like this was a safe space. Some of them didn't realize that he had slipped in the back. And then, of course, he's sitting back there and, of course, arms crossed and he's becoming a little annoyed about the conversation that was taking place. And, uh, you know, then I had a one off with him afterwards and just stated for the other future sessions, please, please stay out of the session with the frontline employees. Um, it completely changed the dynamic of the room. Um, and after that, I think that a few employees felt uh, even more uncomfortable because they thought they were tricked, that this was a safe space. And then suddenly that senior leader slipped in the back. Um, so let that be a little bit of a, a lesson learned for those of you who are contemplating uh, doing uh, this type of move with um, a respectful workplace policy and the subsequent training. And, um, you know, I'm glad you talked also, Pam, about a shorter duration session. Yes, because this is a bit of a, a touchy subject. Yeah, the, I agree. This shouldn't be, you know, a, a really, really long session. Long enough that the policy is really spelled out clearly and the uh, behaviors are really defined of what is expected and, and certainly what is not going to be tolerated and the consequences. Um, I think that's the other piece that, you know, policies can't just be something that you put on paper and they just look really nice. They're not words on paper. They have to, It has to be meaning something and there has to be a way to enforce it. And, uh, you know, so anytime that you are going to implement a policy and that goes beyond even just a respectful workplace policy is ask, ask yourself the question, how will we enforce it? What does that look like? Um, if we did have, let's say, the uh, director of marketing uh, where a complaint was lodged and the director of marketing has been through our training, has acknowledged the policy, but then next week is out saying and doing things that is contrary to this policy. How will we handle that? You know, that's the leadership conversation that definitely has to happen. Um, you know, this isn't just, oh, check the box. We, we're, we're handling this with the L&D team and HR. Check the box. We've got this respectful policy thing and we got the training done. Great. You know, it's it's not that check the box kind of thing, as you you said, Pam. From your perspective, when you're really building the training, um, you know, what are some other things that you can share? Let's say maybe virtual versus in person, and also what type of facilitator do you think is is a good fit for this for leading it? So we've done it all. We've done longer classroom training. We've done 
online training. We've done webinars. I would say that the best training is in-person training. Yeah, I I think when you do it by a webinar, people can hide. They can be distracted. They're not engaged. And you can do things like putting them in breakout rooms and using your chat box, but it is absolutely not the same as in person. Now, I do realize there are times that you can't do it. I mean, during COVID, sure, is when we did it as a webinar. So wherever possible, get people in a room is one thing. Back to the manager not being in the room. Another thing is to do use a top-down approach, mm-hmm. right? Managers should go through first so that they're on board and they can support whatever is shared in the training with their employees. That's what we found to be mm-hmm. the best approach. And again, they are the role model and they've got to buy in to it. And then another thing that I see with a lot of respectful workplace training is that it's filled with jargon. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so many terms. At the end of the day, an employee doesn't need to know the term, right? They need to know what does this thing look like? How does it impact me? How does how do I imply uh, how do I apply it? Yeah. So again, going back to just keep it keeping it simple. Stay right. away from terms. I, I think agree. It's respectful workplace soup or something. Uh-huh. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And from the standpoint of a, a facilitator, um, who do you feel is um, the the right professional to really lead? this type of training? It definitely has to be somebody that has experience in this area. Uh, It has to be somebody that really believes in it and someone that is not afraid to field the tough questions. Yep. And you also have to be courageous enough to navigate certain conversations and be able to shut it down. It's not for the faint of heart and it's not the person that's trying to make nice uh, with everyone because it does get in- uncomfortable in there and it should I think right mm-hmm. that yes. that means that the work is really taking place and you got to be able to go certain places so you've got to really be I-, I would just say it has to be a courageous facilitator with some experience very much so and uh, particularly if you have um, members of the leadership team some of whom, have a bit of positional authority and uh, they may want to grandstand a bit or they may try to even uh, derail uh, the conversation. I, I have had sessions in the past where uh, that has happened and uh, call a timeout. And uh, that's where you uh, respectfully handle that. But sometimes, like you said, you have to be courageous enough to be able to shut that down and uh, and be able to deal with it. So yeah, all great tips, Pam, really great. Now. Let's talk about, and as we're wrapping up with our episode today, let's talk a little bit more about the relationship between the learning and development team and and HR, or or in some organizations, it may be employee relations. Kind of talk about the why it's important that these groups are are really on the same page when you're rolling something like this out. I think that you have your facilitator, which is in many organizations, it would be your learning and development person. And then you've got your employee relations um, or your HR people that they're handling the investigations. They might be doing the policy, 
writing. I mm-hmm. think it's important that they're on the same page. So being in the classroom together, right? I mean, typically learning and development and some HR folks, they are the ones with the facilitation skills. Yeah. And so they might be teaching the class, but you do need that expert on HR policy, your respectful workplace policy, someone that has had experience with you know, certain complaints and in order to field questions. And I think it's also a wonderful opportunity to get, if L&D is the folks or training are the folks that are delivering the training, mm-hmm. it gives HR an opportunity to get in front of employees mm-hmm. in a different way, right? Yeah. You know, typically people are going to HR because of, there's an issue or something like that. And this is a way for them to see HR as a partner and that HR is there to support them. I agree. I think very much so. And also, I think HR in developing the policy, or if it is, let's say, an employee relations team and some of the organizations that I work with, ER really does take ownership of some of these types of policies because ultimately they are the ones that investigate um, when there is the misconduct. When there's the partnership together with learning and development, it allows, I think, for human resource professionals particularly who can sometimes get a little tunnel vision with the policy development piece. And they don't necessarily see the teaching aspect of helping to to somewhat translate what does that policy mean. So I think that's what the L&D execs and and professionals, the great facilitators in L&D, they have the ability to take what what is this policy written on paper with kind of some do's and don'ts here, but, but be able to, as you said, share some real examples really share using some of the industry jargon or some of the lingo and really bring that to life. Um, Sometimes HR doesn't necessarily do that as well. They get a little um, too focused on just the policy writing part. So this is very much an excellent partnership. And especially in larger organizations, you need to be collaborating along the way. You don't each want to be working in kind of a vacuum. Otherwise, you may have, um, you know, a bit of a, a conflict over what is the ideal sort of methodology for rolling it out. So it needs to be a a collaborative, uh, cross-functional project team, uh, in my opinion, right from the beginning. Absolutely. If L&D is the the group that creates the policy, you can't do it without HR Mm -hmm. or your employee relations group. I mean, again, as we said before, right, that's where the examples are coming from. And you also get a pulse of what's going on. Yeah, I agree. you can assess your programs from one year to the next by having that collaborative relationship. You know, are we seeing a change this year compared to last year as a result of some of the training that we're doing, some of the con- continuous communication that you're sending out too? That's another piece of it. So it's not just the policy. It's not just the annual training. It's the keeping it in front of people. Wow on a continuous basis, but in a, I want to use say a gentle way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that I think I've learned over the years is maybe not beating people over the head with things. Right. 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 <laughs> you, sometimes, I don't know. <laughs> you sometimes have to go through the back door and you have to like prime the pump for people to learn and make it about them, right? Why yeah. here is not necessarily jumping right into mm-hmm. policy and what's yeah. wrong, but really showing people how understanding this stuff makes life better for them at work, right? How mm-hmm. it impacts productivity, 
um, innovation and things along the, that line. That's what I've learned too. Like, oh yeah, most definitely, yeah. most definitely, yeah. And uh, I think the other piece that you hit on, and then uh, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up here, but um, it's about the metrics as well and comparing, as you said, from one year to the next. You know, one of my other podcast episodes, I talked about the importance of using case management solutions to really document the number of employee relations issues you're dealing with and how many investigations are you conducting and into what particular allegations and in what parts of your organization. If you've done a learning and development intervention, such as what Pam and I have been talking about, such as a respectful workplace training and you've implemented a new policy, it would be really nice for you to take a look at some baseline metrics before you rolled that out. And then let's do some measurements after the fact. And uh, you never know, you might just uh, be the big hero to your organization and causing that reduction from year to year. And certainly legal counsel, I'm sure, will be tickled pink because um, they may see that there's a lot less risk to the organization in the form of expensive litigation. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us today. And uh, I really want to thank you, Pam, for uh, joining us today. This has been a really, really insightful episode. And I know that it's really been a value to those out there in our listening audience. This is it for me, but I will see you back at another HR Investigations podcast. See ya. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills, or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.